Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tracy. And today we're talking about starting points and giving gratitude to the mentors and elders that have helped us become the people, practitioners, dancers, chefs, tugboat drivers, <laughs> etc. So we're we're going to ask each other questions about those people that really helped us along the way and we found inspiration and eventually clarity and confidence and understanding from. Right. I love that. Thank you. And we're also hoping that you, as our listeners, hear something that sparks in you, maybe a memory of who has mentored you and what they mentored you about. What have you learned from your progenitors? So I think you wanted me to start, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about the mentors who made the biggest difference in your life? Yes. So I gave this a lot of thought, but really everybody came to me pretty quickly and I divided my thoughts into categories. So the first category is just mentoring, which has given me confidence. And I think about my primary mentor that I've had since my postdoc year in Dallas. Her name is Dr. Sally St. Clair, and she is a psychologist, and she is actually 82, and she is still in full-time practice doing great in Dallas. But she's been with me for now 26 years as someone who uh, helps me think through things and offers ideas and shares her own struggles. Um, so one of the biggest things that I can think of that I've gotten from Sally is confidence because she believes in me and she tells me I'm doing great. Another thing that Sally does for me, and I think we've talked about this before, is she helped me realize that with this process of EMDR, which I'm using every day, I can relax. I'm not going to mess it up. And that's been really important. She taught me about um, natural flow EMDR, which was developed by David Grand. And listeners, you may recognize that name because David Grand is the originator also of brain spotting, which is a, a form of EMDR um, or connected to EMDR. And natural flow came before that, in my understanding. And it's it's a very relaxed way to use EMDR. In my opinion, it doesn't take you out of the protocol, but it's just it's easy to slip into it and out of it. And you don't have to feel like you're setting up something very formal and very stilted. You can just slide right in with what your client's already giving you. So Sally, Sally's helped me learn a lot of things, but that's one of the main things. And she's just helped me believe in myself. Well, that latter part, helping you believe in yourself is incredibly important. We've talked about fears of incompetence that a lot of therapists have. And one of those, the things about fears of incompetence is they mostly remain secret. 
Ooh, that's right. I mean, therapists don't address their clients and say, welcome. I really uh, don't have a lot of confidence that I can help you. Uh, but come in anyway, and we'll see what we can do. Nobody says that. Nobody says that. So if you have feelings of incompetence, you keep them to yourself, which is is difficult. So that that's a really big deal that she gave you the confidence to feel like you could move forward in this yeah. profession. Well, and you know, I'm reminded, I have to just share this piece too. One of the ways she's done that is by admitting her faux pas. Faux pas, am I saying that right? I believe you are. And she, so she tells on herself and really hilarious things that she has done by mistake, like putting her foot in her mouth and saying, you know, something off. Um, she told me a story about insulting her friend's choice of carpet color accidentally and, um, you know, and then backtracking and, but, but she laughs at herself. And so she's helped me kind of do that too, which is also inspired confidence. So what about you? Who's first on your list? Well, um, when I started thinking about this, I thought anybody who promoted positive movement experiences, mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go through uh, a list of people who did that because, you know, that includes a lot of people throughout my life. But anybody who wanted to move, anybody who wanted to move in a way that it created a positive, you know, experience and you felt better after doing it. So in all movement promoters from a young age, I I want to give them gratitude. So that's like dance teachers and... Dance teachers or even, you know, in kindergarten when you would jump rope. Anybody who made movement important in whatever setting, uh, be it educational or, you know, youth group or whatever, I I like the movement experiences, and I believe those are missing, or there need to be more positive movement experiences in everyone's life. Yeah. So I want to give them thanks. Yeah. And then on top of that, the early grade school teachers that I had who were attachment specialists, And I remember some of my grade school teachers, the ones that really stand out in my mind were either great attachment specialists and knew how to make me feel calm, accepted, resonant, and energetic. Uh I stole that from Amy Amy Banks. (laughs) And then contrasting, I remember the ones who didn't do that. So... Uh, I consider those early teachers who really made me feel accepted, I feel as if they were my earliest mentors. Does anyone stand out specifically in that group? Two, uh, Mrs. Jones, she was third grade. And I, I believe I'm still, I'm friends with her on Facebook. And Mrs. Ward, she was fifth grade. Mm-hmm. But there was something about the way they taught that really made every student 
in that class feel accepted. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And I love how you've gone all the way back there. This is mentoring for your work today, but you've gone all the way back to childhood. And you've been thinking about people who helped you move and consider that important and people who allowed you to feel safe and loved. Right. Right. Wow. I can, yeah, I consider them my earliest mentors. And I'll start, it sounds to me like Sally was really one of your most important mentors. Yes, she was. And, but actually Sally, and I will come back to Sally in a little bit, but um, I worked with her at the tail end of my graduate program at Texas Women's University. And I have to turn to TWU for a moment to thank some people there and also to thank Murray Bowen, the author of Family Systems Theory. Um, so, so thanking Murray Bowen, and many of you have read his work and you know about him, um, but then thanking Dr. Robert Littlefield, or Bud, as we affectionately called him, for bringing Bowen theory to life through stories. So Bud Littlefield used family systems as his palette and he used storytelling as his brush. And so being in classes with him was just fascinating. He was telling stories all the time. They were real stories. They were, uh, you know, I guess he, he had permission to talk about these people and they were stories about himself too, about his own family of origin. Um, for those of you who um, haven't read Bowen, one of the key concepts that he writes about, wrote about was this idea of differentiation of self. And differentiation is something that goes on throughout the lifespan. And it's about each of us becoming more and more clearly who we are. So from the time the umbilical cord is cut all the way forward through our entire lifespan, we are theoretically becoming more us, which means less of someone else and more of who we are, which of course requires having an opinion and a voice and being able to maintain your calm in the face of other people's chaos. Those are, are great qualities. And the two things that I'm hearing that tie those two together strongly are their honesty about their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people like it when you're honest about what you've been through, mm -hmm. especially when a mentor can say, you know, I had this experience. It wasn't great, and uh, uh, it makes it makes people who come come up in the field behind them feel better because yeah. you know when you begin in a healing profession. I'm going to talk about that because that's our experience. But when you're beginning, you know there are a million things you could do. Yeah. So it's nice to hear your mentor, elder, telling you stories about their experience that maybe didn't work out so well for them. 
so valuable. Plus, it illustrates that thing you're trying to learn. So this category of things, I mean, I'm calling it a framework and, and frameworks lead to understanding. So I'm giving thanks not only to TWU, to the faculty, to my mentors there, Bud Littlefield, um, but I'm giving thanks for this framework of ideas. And I, I like to talk to students and um, supervisees about how important it is for you to have a framework, a paradigm, and to know what it is. I guess we all have a paradigm, but we might not have ever paid attention to what it is and articulated it. So it's really important to do that. It's like a map and it it helps you understand what is going on in in any given moment. But yeah, to to have mentors who will say, I had this penile disorder and it it was a, a deformity and I had to go to the doctor and do this and I had and draw the picture of the genitals on the board and have have us all cringing and yet so thankful, you know, that this person is able to say, this happened to me. This has been my life. Yeah, when when people open up like that, it's it's it allows everybody else who's around them to be more open. Yeah. Which is a uh, important part of learning. And it's so scary to be open to begin with. It is. Yeah, it's much easier to keep those things a secret, like fears of incompetence. Can you tell us more about the foundation that your mentors helped you create in order to be able to do this healing work, as you said, remaining as calm as possible in the presence of your clients or patients mm -hmm inner chaos yeah that's that's a bedrock idea of of family systems and that idea is important because everybody has an anxious part of their life that's why people come to us they have anxiety and they have situations that they have to deal with that make them anxious and scared and unsure of who they are so learning to stay calm whilst noticing those chaotic things is an art form and it's an art form for the therapist as well. Can you stay calm and grounded even though you're sitting across from somebody who's really coming unhinged? I find it very difficult, <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of the reasons we started co-therapy. It makes yes. it so much easier yes. and feels so much safer. Right, exactly. So it really does. Who's second on your list? Well, um, first is Stan Brown. He was my main mentor as I became a massage therapist. But I have five total. Two go back to my undergraduate days in dance, and that's Polly Brandman and mm. Becca Voigt. Mm. And those two created a dance company, a modern dance company. Uh, called Wishbone Dance Theater. Oh. And that's uh, the group of dancers that I felt most connected with. And I learned because ballet is very, you know, formal and musical theater never really captured my interest. Mm -hmm. But modern dance, this idea that you could explore how your body moves and you could really 
do whatever you want. So I'm, I'm grateful for them for opening this whole world of exploration to me. Mm. So before that came along, you, you didn't know that there was modern dance, or maybe you just I I had done a little modern dance, but being a part of a, a small group of people with two leaders that were very accepting of, you know, whatever comes out of this process mm. is what is important. So I think the main thing was it's not the product, it's the process. Uh-huh. And that applies to healing work. Yes, it does. It applies to everything. So being accepting of or even celebrating whatever comes out of our work together. It's all part of a stream. It's part of a process. Right. It, it reminds me of when Anat Banyel talks about, you know, there aren't really mistakes. They're just variations. Mm. Uh-huh. And I think that working with Wishbone Dance Theater really made that clear to me that anything is fair game. The, and not also follows that up by saying the closest thing to a mistake you'll do is when your action doesn't match your intention. Mm-hmm. But even then, beautiful things can come from those so-called mistakes. Those accidents, they often create the best visual art. And actually, I've had that experience working with you in co-therapy, that the accidents or the times when I think I'm off and I have said something or suggested something that I thought was really off, and then you reframed it for me because it, it led to something we needed to know. Right, right. It it just turned out to be a breadcrumb on the path to Mm -hmm. where we were going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I worked with Stan, he was, he, he was a PT and he took me under his wing. I was a massage therapist and he did great work. But when he encountered a client that actually didn't improve or got worse. He he wouldn't talk a lot about it, but I remember one of his clients leaving one day uh, in worse shape than he came in, which was very rare. Mm. And he just looks he he looked at me and he said, "How do you think that makes me feel?" Oh, what did he mean by that? He meant that when you're trying to work with people who are in distress Uh and they end up either not improving or getting worse, Uh it has a really strong impact on how the therapist feels. That's so profound. I know it's true from my own experience, but hearing someone else put it like that, really helpful. So I think the... The next area for me is light and clarity. And I literally think about like a matchstick or a flashlight or somebody turning on the overhead light. And I remember 
being in school in my training and having this recurring dream um, about trying to turn on the lights and rushing from room to room. And there was just dark and dark and dark. And gradually, um, you know, in this dream where I'm pulling chains and flipping switches and nothing is happening, gradually there came to be dreams where I would flip a switch and light would come on somewhere. And that was a huge relief. And there's some somebody in particular I want to thank um, for this light. And her name is Dr. Marianne Watson. She's a psychologist also in Dallas. And I worked with her under her supervision while I was in school. And Marianne taught me about anger. Um, she was and is an anger expert. And, you know, we would talk a lot in psychology about the, the scientist practitioner model of training where you're first uh, a scientist and then you're, you know, this person who shares what you've learned. So you're doing this research, this formal research, and then you're taking that into the consultation room. Marianne was really a practitioner scientist. And I just reordered the words there to, to say that she would experiment with things while working with people and she would learn from that and then incorporate what she was learning into her model. So she got the idea from watching her clients that a clear, strong expression of anger was therapeutic for them and that something changed cognitively for the, for the people who could reach that point where they could say, I'm actually really, really angry about what happened to me. I'm angry at this person and here's why they did this. She could see that as a pivoting moment for people. It was like turning a corner. And so she started to um, install punching bags in the offices where we worked, in the hospital, in the outpatient clinic. And she brought in bats and PVC pipes and batting gloves and 30-second timers, and she taught us all how to do physical anger work, which changed my life. It turned on a lot of light because I could see, oh, there are these feelings that are universal that we've all come to try to hide or dim, but that doesn't do us any good. That doesn't really help anybody. I love that. It sounds like she was, and we talked a little bit before the show about, uh, uh, I teach best when I'm teaching the things that I'm interested in learning more about. Yeah. And what you're describing, it sounds like she was in the moment with her clients and patients yeah. and focused on their responses to whatever was happening. Mm -hmm. So in that case, the process was the important part. Mm -hmm. And it led her to these great discoveries about anger work. Yes. And I, you know, I've worked with Deborah for quite a while, and I never really understood the importance of anger work until the end of a session with a client, the client left and I always figure out ways to cleanse myself in the space. And I had to do anger work after that session. Uh -huh. So I got out the uh, pool noodle 
And I did like three minutes of anger work and it was truly transformative. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, to say a little more about that, Marianne instructed us to have a time limit because it wasn't okay that this became a frenzy. We didn't want it to become a frenzy because you can dissociate in an angry frenzy that becomes like, I don't know, useless rage or, or an exercise in just beating a cushion or something. But if we are tied to a 30 second interval at a time and we talk while we swing that bat, then we can experience a cognitive shift. And when you experience that shift in your, in your learning um, that only anger can bring you, then you're freer to move up the emotional scale and begin to feel better and less, less self-blaming, less self-loathing, less anxious. I felt, I felt better immediately. Mm-hmm. And then I had a client, for whatever reason, he didn't want to do real anger work beating a cushion with a pool noodle so i i said would you be willing to do it in your imagination Mm. and we got the correction it was it was easy you got the same correction we got the same correction he imagined himself beating a cushion with a pool noodle and before he began, he, he, he said, is it okay if I curse in my imagination? <laughs> and I said, sure. Yes. So. <laughs> Please do. But he felt better immediately. That is so good so, to know. Thank you, Marianne. Yes. Yeah. Really good to know because I have a lot of people who don't want to do it. They just don't. They feel so silly. They don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll follow up with more of our starting points after the break. America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. In this time of global uncertainty, people turn to the therapist, doctor, or coach for help. But who helps the helper? Listen to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Deborah and Tracy bring you new approaches to therapist self care so you can feel inspired to do your important work in the world. Reconceive, episodes available on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. 
Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Check out all our other episodes on demand. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. We're talking about starting points. And Tracy, I think it's your turn. Okay, I want to mention, so Deborah's been talking about how candid her mentors have been and how that candor and the stories they tell about their own experiences are really what are the most captivating thing to a mentee. Mm-hmm. They really let you know that the experiences you're going through to become the practitioner that you want to be are normal parts of this mm-hmm. growth process. Right. And they also let you know that even a seasoned clinician and somebody with titles and prestige has their own Pandora's box full of trauma and issues from their family of origin that they've not been able to clean up thus far. They're still, they're still a work in progress. Right. And, you know, in formal education, you know, empirical data is placed way above anecdotal data or experience stories in this hierarchy of education. Mm -hmm. But the anecdotal evidence, the stories are really a crucial part of mentoring and becoming an elder. And when I went through my shamanic training, I remember we watched a video where a woman was saying that stories are given to those that can tell them. Ooh, wow. I, I love that. And and I feel so thankful for those people who have been able to tell their story. Because I got to say, when I come right up to the edge of telling something very personal about myself, I hesitate. And I often just don't tell that. Right. But, but as you describe your mentors and their bravery in sharing their stories with you, that bravery, that courage is also being imparted to you. Mm -hmm. And I heard the other day that courage is a linchpin value for all of your other values. What does that mean? That with without courage, that it's hard to work in a healing profession because you never, nobody ever knows, no practitioner, no doctor ever knows the outcome of an intervention in advance. Mm-hmm. You have to be courageous enough to follow the process, to yeah. listen to your heart. And to move forward without courage, 
you really become stuck. You yeah. can't without courage. It's hard to find love. It's hard to help others. True. It's really hard to do anything. It's hard to do anything. We become paralyzed without courage. Right. So I, I love your stories of your mentors. And just hearing you talk about it makes me want to be braver about mm -hmm. sharing my own stories. Me too. We'll work on that. <laughs> uh, I think it's a big part of being a great mentor. I do too. So my other two, I have two other mentors. Stan's the one I want to talk about the most, but I also want to mention two other dancers uh, because I got into this field because of a back injury. And Cheryl Miller and Joanna Speller both mentored me and really were were guides that showed me that people could be helped more than they actually normally believed they could. Wow. So people are often surprised. People in distress often come to me thinking and to them knowing that nobody can help them. I hear that all the time. Me too. And it, it's it's a hard place to begin, mm -hmm. knowing somebody came to you thinking, there's no way you can help me. Yeah, I've tried everything. This is not going to get much better. Right. If any. But Cheryl and Joanna, they really started me down this path of knowing that more help is available than most people believe exists. How did they show you that? Was it was it more by personal example or were they teaching that concept formally? They they weren't teaching it formal, but formally, but Cheryl was working in the same Pilates studio. She owned it. So when I would get in a when I hit, would hit a dead end with a client, I would ask Cheryl if she had time to come over. And she would look and she would see things that I didn't see. Oh. So she taught me by example that there was more there than I was seeing. There's more there than what you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And then Joanna expanded on that. She's a physiotherapist from Canada and very generous with her time and her knowledge. Mm -hmm. And generosity, I believe, is another incredibly important trait yeah. for all of the mentors that have helped me through my life. Courage to share who they are and then generosity to actually do that, to give their time and to, to be willing to hand this to you, this piece of themselves. Right. And Stan Brown, you know, I had horrible back pain I believe nobody could help me. I went to Stan and he helped me immediately. Mm. And I thought, this is amazing. Mm. And then he asked me to be his mentee and work in the same office. And I noticed when you're talking about your mentors giving you confidence and clarity, initially Stan was showing me all these amazing techniques 
So it just made me initially more confused. But it was also an expansive feeling of confusion, Mm. knowing that there were a million places to begin. So I think the he, he was definitely the main mentor that got me where I am today as, as far as being a, a pain therapist or a body psychotherapist. But initially, it was not clear. Yeah. And it was confusing. Yeah. But it was the beginning of this unfolding of a universe that I had no idea existed. Uh-huh. Confusion as the beginning of creativity. It's been said to be the beginning of creativity. I think Carl Whitaker might have said that. And listeners, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels overwhelming at first. All the new ideas, all the new ways of thinking and being but some transformation is happening inside of you as you're confused. You don't know it yet, but then it unfolds. I did not know it, but I saw the great results. He was the great outcomes he would get with his clients. And I felt those outcomes when he worked on my behalf. But really when I wanted a mentor, what I wanted was somebody to give me recipes to mm-hmm. clarify everything. Yeah. But he was in a period of expansion in his own practice where he was discovering this and then discovering this. And so I was along for the ride. And I'm glad I got through it. But yes, it was, uh, there was a lot of confusion and awkwardness and feelings of incompetence. Mm-hmm. But then again, he was working in the office next door. So just like when I worked with Cheryl, I could say, Stan, I'm stuck. How beautiful is that? And it's kind of wonderful that he didn't give you recipes because maybe had he given you the how-to and the 10 steps to this or that, you, you would have taken longer to arrive at at this expansive um, kind of complicated and constantly um, undulating and changing practice that you have today. I don't think I ever would have gotten here. Hmm. Before I worked with Stan, I was not inclined to think outside the box. Hmm. I wanted a box and I wanted recipes and I wanted to know exactly what I was supposed to do. And that's not the way this work works. How old were you when you wanted a box? Oh, this was 12 years ago. So, (laughs) you know, this wasn't that long ago. Uh, uh, But, you know, that that is so important to allow the person you're mentoring to become Mm. the therapist that they're going to become. Because when, when I started working with Stan, I recognized he was getting great outcomes. So I said to myself, I said, try to do what he does exactly the way he does it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work like that. Every therapist becomes 
different from the person that trained them or mentored them. It's impossible to be your mentor. It is impossible, even because I know that from experience. I tried and I tried and I tried. But yeah. That makes me want to circle back to Sally and say, thank you, Sally St. Clair, for helping me become me. Because one of the things I think you did for me that was so revolutionary is you listened, um, which sounds awfully simple, but it it was profound because I really hadn't had that many people to date um, who were listening to me. And so she found, she found my take on a client to be interesting. And she had a way of asking me to tell her more and more so that that would deepen so I could hear myself talking. And I, that, that was revolutionary. I hadn't, I hadn't heard myself talk at least with a witness before that point. She sounds like an attachment specialist. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've talked about polyvagal theory often on the show. And one of the most important things you can do in an attempt to co-regulate is to listen, mm -hmm. listen. And, and, Stan was fantastic if I had a problem with a client or a problem with my, you know, maybe my thumbs hurt because I was doing so much tissue work. But listening really is one of the best ways to connect with other people. Since you mentioned co-regulation, I want to segue to my fourth category of gratitude, which is support and co-regulation. And in this category, I mean, there are several people I can talk about, Sally, for sure. Um, but you, you, you are in that. I, I want to thank you because I think what has happened in this work over the last couple of years working with you is that I can even when I'm not in the room with you, I can feel your presence and I can sort of think, what would Tracy do? Tracy would ask this, Tracy would follow this line. Um, and if, if you were with me, you would be hearing down deep into what's going on and help me hear that too, which feels like really being met, really having company in the process. That's a, a, a wonderful feeling. And I, I noticed myself after working with you these past couple of years that I use some of the same questions when I'm working independently. When we're doing co-therapy, it's, it's much easier because uh, uh, you're right there give, helping me co-regulate, providing support, holding space. But when I work independently, I feel the same thing. Your presence, some of the the paths that you would follow, the mm -hmm. view of the condor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I consider myself more along the lines of the jaguar mm -hmm. tracking. Yeah. But having work with you, it makes it easier for me to fly above and have the view of the condor. It makes me really happy. I like that. And there's something about 
being able to co-regulate our nervous systems that we've talked about this before, but it really helps me think more clearly, be more present. I don't get nearly as tired. Oh, uh, it's, it's so healing. It feels so healing and so comfortable to do co-therapy. Um, the point of this last conversation is the fact that Deborah and I mentor each other. Mm-hmm. So it may not look formal, mm-hmm. but we are learning from each other every day we practice together, but also we work on each other. So I will work on Deborah's behalf, she'll work on my behalf. And that's an incredible learning experience as well. Really is. And maybe we need to um, provide permission, <laughs> offer permission as if you need it, but but maybe you as a listener need permission to work on each other. We've mentioned this before in previous episodes, but it's important to kind of guinea pig each other a little bit. And, and I think even trade, trade services, um, if you have somebody that you feel safe with that, that helps you, somebody that helps you regulate your nervous system, see if you can work out a trade. I'll hold this hour for you. You hold the next hour for me. And let's go back and forth. And if, it, if, it's, if it's two people like Deborah and myself working within the same field or, you know, really body psychotherapy, pain relief, Uh, relief of anxiety, mental anguish. If it's two people who are in the same healing type of profession, you can use the trade as a way to learn Mm -hmm. and as a way to be more intuitive. Mm -hmm. So without such a goal of helping this person, but with also the goal of creating a better process, a more comfortable process, a more intuitive process for yourself to work. Definitely. And to illustrate that, working with you has um, caused me to be attuned to movement and the development of brain. So the development of cognitive structures that can come through movement And because of that, like right now, I'm working with somebody who's a professional athlete and is talking about how she will get to a point in her training where it's like she can't go any further and she can't do what her body wants to do or what what she knows her body should do. And I know as she's telling me about this, this experience of being Um, like, okay, I'm standing here at the edge of this cliff, my body's supposed to do something, and I can't feel the next right thing to do. I know she's talking about your world. And I wouldn't have understood that before. She needs a better map of her body in her brain. Yes, yeah, yeah. And when you reach those points, the first three things to do, pay attention to what it feels like to move. Do a small movement, do a slow movement, 
use less effort so your brain can receive more information. New information means new possibilities. Yeah. So thank you. You are certainly welcome. It's been a a real pleasure working together with you. And it's an expansive process. Yeah. We learn a little bit more each time. Mm -hmm. And we know what to incorporate in the future to make our chances of helping people better. Yeah. So here's some questions to ponder between now and our next episode. The first one that I want to ask you guys is who teaches you? And so give some thought to that. It may not be a formal teaching situation, but who teaches you? Does someone come to mind when I ask you that question? And if not, why is that? Is that because you're isolated from your colleagues and you don't have somebody you can watch or listen to? Is that because you're not dipping into other disciplines and, and you know, cross fertilizing your own ideas? Um, but that would be that would be a big question that I'd want to leave with you guys. Can you think of something to ask along those lines that, that our listeners can ask themselves? I, I think the question that comes to mind is when you're working with a client, are you present in the moment or are you trying to jump ahead and figure out what you should be doing next. Mm -hmm. Because anytime you do that, you, I believe, are breaking the attachment, the connection, the process. Mm -hmm. And uh, Moshe Feldenkrais says, he said, to correct is incorrect. Mm. So good. So, and and Anat created a workshop called From Fixing to Connecting. Yeah. Because there's nothing more healing than connection with another conspecific or another mammal. Yeah. But in, in therapy, you're working with humans. There is nothing more healing, in my opinion, than connection with another human being. And if you as a practitioner are jumping into the future, then that breaks that connection. And that's back to Carl Rogers. That's back to the the core tenets of being in a room with someone, um, listening, providing non-judgmental positive regard and empathy, being able to track right with them in any given moment. And I often forget how important that is. That's huge. Right. But you brought it up with your experience with Sally listening to you. She's so good at that. I mean, there's such that's such a great example of somebody being present with you. Yeah. You being heard. Yeah. And she is the listener. 
I mean, it's just, it's, it's like magic. It is like magic. And you're really good at that, by the way. I just have to say, sometimes I think you're not listening to me, but then a month later, you will come back to something that I was saying and you heard, <laughs> you heard down into the ground of it. You heard the all the way to China of what I was talking about. It just took me a while to process it and respond. I need to always remember that. Yes, be patient. I'll get back to you. <laughs> oh, well, so anything else that we need to cover before we sign off for today? I just want to make sure that the mentors in my life, whether I mentioned you today or not, I'm grateful. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there are more for me too. Um, a long list. Thank you. Thank you, everybody at TWU. Thank you, everybody who's ever taught there because you created a nurturing environment. I felt safe there. I felt safe to learn as safe as I could have been in the moment. And I, you know, I didn't mention the great teachers that I've had over the years. But one of the main things is I want to say, because I know that psychologists and mental health care practitioners aren't mapping and getting markers for the dysfunctions that they're helping their clients with. Mm -hmm. But I just want to say to all of you that the work you're doing is helping to alleviate physical pain. Yeah. So I want you to think about in the futures, and Deborah and I will try to give you ways to do this. I want you to think about starting to ask your clients more about their physical pain, because you're doing, you're helping people more than you know. Beautiful thought. And with that, we will talk to you soon. Email us. As always, we'd love to get email from you. Reconceive Recovery at gmail.com. We'll see you later. See you later. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.